You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I have a message this morning called Why So Many Marys. And um, something uh, the Lord has shown me over the years, I think it would be really helpful to us. The Lord wants to help us today. How many of you want help? Yeah, how many of you want to make a change and move forward? So, do you have five close friends all with the same first name? You may, but I'm sure it's unusual. It's not normal. Well, Jesus had five people in his close inner circle of relationships who had the same first name, and that name was Mary. And there's a message. I believe the Lord showed me that there's a message in her name, and there's a message in why Jesus was surrounded by so many with that name. For instance, um, you'll see this verse overhead. We find this in John 11, 1 and 2. It says this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Verse 2. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So there's that phrase, it was that Mary, because... If you've read the New Testament a lot and you see these different Marys, sometimes you don't know who was who. And so in John 11, here the writer distinguished which Mary he referred to since there were a number of them. And John used the phrase, it was that Mary, to distinguish Lazarus' sister from the four other Marys who were close to Jesus. And so, first of all... um, Of course, there's Mary, Jesus' mother. Then there's Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. She may have been the woman known as the sinner in Luke 7.37. Hey, I'm not working women this morning, by the way. Just to let you know. I'm just letting you know what I've seen here. But how would you like to be known as the sinner? The Bible can be a pretty ruthless book, right? Come on. Anyway, moving right along. So Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb on the morning of his resurrection. Then there was Mary, the wife of Cleopas, who was with Jesus' mother at the crucifixion, and she was also uh, at the tomb on the morning of the resurrection. Then there was Mary, John Mark's mother, and then there's that Mary we've already mentioned, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So that's peculiar. That's unusual. Five people with the same name in your inner circle. Why? Well, to understand why, we first need to look at the book of Ruth, at the experience of a woman named Naomi. How many of you are at all familiar with the book of Ruth? Oh, a bunch of you. Good. Well, I've got a a little bit of a summary. Um, Someone named Pat Pat Seeler wrote, and I thought it would be just to summarize it so you can make this connection because I really do think it's important. Um, There was a man named Elimelech. He and his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malin and Chilion, left Bethlehem 
to live in Moab because of a famine. While they were there, Elimelech died. The two sons, Malan and Chilion, married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other named Ruth. But ten years later, both of the sons also died. So, Naomi's in a bad spot. She heard that God had provided food back in Bethlehem. That's where they came from. So she decided to go home. Her daughter-in-laws initially were going to go back with her, but she urged them not to go back because she didn't believe they had hope to go back with her. So Orpah left, but Ruth refused to go back. She, the Bible says she clung to Naomi and returned with her to Bethlehem. And Naomi actually got tired of trying to tell her not to come back with her. So back in Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth are faced with the challenge of living alone as two single women without husbands to provide for them. And Ruth began to gather grain behind harvesters in a field. That's one of the things they, one of the, uh, um, one of the laws in Israel was that uh, you didn't harvest the corner of the fields and anything that fell off the produce truck or the harvesting truck, the poor could come gather up and take home and keep. And so Ruth began to gather grain behind harvesters in a field that just happened to belong to Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's. Boaz turned out to be a godly man, was very generous to Ruth and Naomi. Then Naomi helped Ruth appeal to Boaz, who by Jewish custom was eligible to marry her. As a relative, Boaz had the right to buy the portion of land that belonged to Naomi's deceased husband. They call that redeeming the land. But in order to redeem the land, he must also make Ruth his wife. Everybody follow me so far? So, Boaz marries Ruth and in essence redeems Naomi and acquires everything that belonged to her husband, Elimelech. Ruth and Boaz have a child named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. David, of course, was the great king of Israel and the progenitor of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So that's a compact story that's got a whole lot more to it, but that gives you a general idea about Naomi and the pain she suffered. So embedded in this story of Naomi's sorrows, we find the answer to our question about why so many Marys surrounded Jesus. When Naomi returned home after losing her wealth, the whole town was moved because she left a prosperous woman. She was very notable. She had land. She had wealth. But when she returned, she returned a much different way, and it was not good. So... Here is what she says about her condition just prior to return, just after returning to Bethlehem. This is in um, the book of Ruth, chapter 1, 19 through 21. Now, the two of them, that would be Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that the whole city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, 
and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. And Mara is the root word for Mary, which was a popular word, a popular name. Uh, and five women with that name surrounded Jesus. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter for the Lord has dealt with me, dealt with me very bitterly. I believe the fact that five Marys were in Jesus' close circle of friends speaks of the bitterness that plagues the church. But it also speaks of the ability Jesus has to heal bitter people because not one of those Marys was bitter by the time Jesus had done what he was doing in his relationship with them. Jesus can heal bitter people. Now, the interesting thing about Naomi was, and I think if I can call it a fool's game, that's a terrible way to put it, but blaming God doesn't work. Let me put that a different way that's easier to understand it. Easier to understand. Blaming God doesn't work. Why would you keep doing something that doesn't work? And that's what she was doing. Now, the truth of the matter is she may have, maybe she should have never left Bethlehem because Boaz seemed to do pretty well during that famine, didn't he? Because when they went back, it was Boaz that helped them survive. More than survive, it was Boaz who was blessed enough, even in a time of famine, to help redeem and take care of Ruth and Naomi. Now, we can make bad choices, and bad choices have consequences. Sometimes we make bad choices and we have consequences and we're angry with the Lord about why things happen. That's, uh, that's not being fair to God. Now, we don't think about it that way. But that could have been part of the problem. Her difficulties really could have been the result of some bad choices. It's arguable. You could argue that back and forth. But here's one thing I know. Blaming God doesn't work. Taking personal responsibility, at least for your attitude, is the baseline. You have to at least take responsibility for how you respond to whatever comes your way. Now, Naomi had become bitter, but what she didn't know was that she had a Ruth in her life. And Ruth named means friend. She had a friend in her life that had more upside, more potential, more of a destiny that would do her, release her great benefit than she even realized. <laughs> she had a Ruth in her life that was the key to regaining Everything she lost 
plus much more than she lost. Ruth connected Naomi to the, to the very heritage of the birth of the Messiah. None of this would have happened if all those other things happened that she didn't like. But I've talked about this last week. We have got to quit judging things in the middle of the problems. We've got to quit coming to conclusions until we can make a conclusion that's somehow redemptive. Because if it's not redemptive, it's not over yet. If there's not hope attached to it, to be continued. Is that good? Yes. She had a faithful friend in her life, even though she was hard to recognize. She was from a different race. She was a Moabite. The Bible actually says the Moabites were cursed in the Old Testament. Figure that one out. But God is redemptive. He will provide for us in ways hard to recognize. Do you know sometimes it's hard to recognize what Jesus is doing? We see it over and over in the New Testament. After his resurrection, Jesus shows up and they don't recognize him. But she found a friend in an unexpected place. Could have been a place of um, rebellion. They could have been out of the will of God, so-called. Could have been in a place where they made profound mistakes. No matter how bad it was, she still found something or someone redemptive in her situation. So, one thing I want us to think about is how did they, I can't get away from something. Where's Coogan? Coogan, raise your hand over there. I keep getting this, the Lord was speaking to me a little bit prophetically this morning. I believe the enemy's trying to bluff you over something. I don't know if it's your health, but, uh, or, or intimidate you, but, um, I believe you, the Lord's looking after you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that okay if I prophesy a little bit of encouragement to Coogan Williams over there? Yeah. That's a good thing. Somebody, I don't know who this is. Can I do this a little bit this morning? Somebody in here thinks it's too late for them. Who's had that thought, it's just too late for me? Who's had that thought? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've had that thought. Come on, stick them up there. Keep them up. No, act like you mean it. Above the waistline. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I'm sorry. It's too late. Nah, come on. <laughs> I did that to sort of jog you a little bit. No, it's not too late for you. Let's, let's pray. It's not too late for me. It's not, say it out loud. It's not too late. It's not too late for me. It's not too late. Do you know the Holy Ghost is still in the world? Has that ever struck you? The Holy Ghost hasn't left. <laughs> he hasn't left. He's here. He's with us. He wants to do more for us. He wants to shock us, surprise us. He wants to download on us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to break off of us this 21st century malaise that's disguising itself as depression and truthfulness. And it's not. Come on, me. 
Okay. You have a friend named Jesus who says it's not too late. You may even be early. That may be why things aren't working out. You tried to do it too soon. Uh Uh-oh. Come on. Come on. Anyway. Is that good? Come on. Come on. Let's take, let's, let's take heart in God. Oh, I'm just going to jump to something here. I don't care. What am I? Um, I think a lot of people are bitter. I don't think they realize they are. You want me to do the bitterness test this morning? You want me to give you the bitterness, the bitterness test? This will, this will help you see if, if you're bitter. First of all, I was, Andy and I were, I was showing Andy this proverb. Now, what is the book of Proverbs? It's a book of wisdom. It means it tells you things you're not normally going to do because you're not wise enough to do them yet. Therefore, God gave us this book. Now, listen to this. Never gloat when your enemy meets disaster. And don't be quick to rejoice if he falls. Somebody ought to preach this in Washington, D.C. For everybody. Everybody. For the Lord sees your heart will be displeased with you and will pity your foe. I have a friend of mine, and if there's a problem with someone, you'd have to trick him to get him to see it accurately because he always sided on the underdog for, with the underdog or the person someone was sort of coming against. So you'd have to trick him. You have to help him see there really is an issue here that needs to be dealt with, but not in, you know. Well, that's what the Lord does. Who, whoever we condemn, he, he begins to take. That's what it says. He'll be displeased with you and pity your foe. Now, here's a really good one. Nobody likes this. Don't be angrily offended over evildoers or be agitated by them. Here's, here's, a, here's a verse. Would you like to know the verse the Lord rebuked me with a couple of weeks ago? Anybody interested in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4? Therefore, I exhort, first of all, what was that phrase? First of all, this is the first thing you should do, Paul says. I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for the righteous. No, no, that's not what it says. And giving of thanks be made for all men. That means everyone. For kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good 
and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What if the church simply prayed for all men, all leaders, instead of praying against them? You, you know, the Bible calls us a royal priesthood. How do you think the Lord feels when his priesthood bring accusations against other people to the throne? How do you think he feels about that? That's, that's not our ministry. What is our ministry? First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for everyone, especially people who are in authority. These people need God. They need the Lord. They do. We need to be praying for them. We, we don't have to agree with policies. They, you know, that's not the point. The point is God knows more about what works than we do. And when things are working as poorly as they seem to be working our nation the last 20 or 30 years, maybe we simply don't know what we're doing and we need to make changes in our attitudes. Somebody say amen, squared, multiplied. Now, do you pray for or do you pray against? Then we come to Luke 6, 27 to 28. Nobody's listening to this one. But I say to you who hear, who's he talking to? People listening. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. How many of you passed the bitterness test this morning? Is this okay? I mean, is this speaking to us? I think so. I think so. Why so many Marys? There's a plague of bitterness in the church. And bitterness is a major pathway out of the will of God. Luke 24 tells the story of sad, disappointed disciples walking from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, after the death of Jesus, after his resurrection, but the disciples don't believe in the resurrection. And so they have left the center of God's purpose, which was Jerusalem at that point, and they're going away from the purpose of God to a place called Emmaus, which was a place that had warm, mineral-rich pools where rich people would go soak. It speaks of a place of soaking in bitterness and in self-pity. You listening? Their bitterness, their self-pity was pulling them out of the plan of God because of disappointment. So Jesus shows up, but they don't recognize him. I'm going to read a couple of different translations in what he says. First, the Barclays translation in Luke 24 says, What are you spending your walk arguing about? He said to them, They halted, and their faces showed the bitterness of their hearts. Another translation, 
Jesus said to them, you seem to be in deep discussion about something. What are you talking about so sad and gloomy? And they actually rebuked Jesus for not knowing what's actually happened in Jerusalem when Jesus was the only person in the world and understood exactly what had happened during the Passion Week. But you've got these other knuckleheads who are listening to the disappointment, who never believed everything he told them, which is typical of all of us. I'm not working them over. I don't want Peter, James, and John, and Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene to jump me in heaven and say, you, you, you did just as bad as we did when we were... Uh, but. But they rebuke Jesus, and they preach a gospel so-called to him, but leave out the resurrection. They say to Jesus, it was our hope that he would liberate Israel, but it didn't work out that way. And to add insult to injury, it's now three days since it all happened. So they basically preach the gospel to Jesus, but leave him in the tomb. Eventually, they recognize him. When they recognize him, they immediately turned around and walked all the way back to Jerusalem with no flash, flashlight, no headlights, no nightlights, nothing. Earlier, we find these disciples weary from their walk, but they were weary from their misunderstood conclusions about God. But the minute they saw Jesus and knew him as the resurrected Jesus, they had an instant surge of energy. They turned around and went right back in to the purpose God had for their lives. And that tells us that encountering and accurately seeing Jesus will strengthen us and reverse the very trajectory of our lives. Come on, me. Preach it, me. Somebody say, preach it, Robin. Just help me a little bit. All right. <laughs> if I may, if I must, if you, if you insist. I have five other pages of notes, but I'm not getting to them. I want to just say this. Freedom from bitterness comes from knowing Jesus and focusing on him instead of ourselves. And how is it that the gospel delivers us from bitterness? What is it about the cross? I don't know if you remember this story, but in the Old Testament, three days after Israel's delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea, they have no water. The only water they find is a pool, and it's bitter. And they complain. They cause a big commotion. Moses goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, it says, the Lord showed Moses a tree. And he said, throw that tree in the water. He threw the tree in the water. And the waters became sweet. That's a picture of the cross. How does the cross make our bitter water sweet? First of all, the cross tells us we're forgiven. We discover in the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and that God has forgiven us. He proves that God 
is good. That begins to break the power of bitterness. But we can really get free from bitterness by forgiving everyone that has offended or hurt us. And here's how you know you're over it. You can pray for them. You can bless them. You can pray for them. You can bless them. And one of the keys to forgiving people, this may not make sense, but you've got to think about it. One of the keys of forgiving people and being free from the feelings of bitterness comes by refusing to judge the motives of those who've offended us or hurt us. Trust me. This was the only thing Jesus said about how to forgive. He said, Father, forgive them for they they don't know their own motives. They don't know what they're doing. Now, let me do this. Let me invite um, Shelly Venable. She wants to give a testimony, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to go eat some Hebrew national hot dogs. <laughs> Let's welcome Shelly Venable. Well, I would have to say bitterness is one of my life's Do you need to? messages. I used to be, believe it or not, a very angry person. Um, when certain people would come up in conversation organizations, I would seethe with anger. And um, I'll give you the background as quickly as I can. You're okay. So when I was 17 years old, I went to a ministry school and the Lord was moving in an unprecedented historical way and people came from all over the world thousands of people came from all over the world to go to this ministry school and my life had been completely changed by it and you know God moved so powerfully I went to ministry school and um, uh, at a certain point um, the school basically split, you know, like a church splits. Mm -hmm. And I was just so young. And I think when the split happened, it almost felt like my parents got a divorce. Mm -hmm. My parents, I mean, I, my parents aren't divorced, but I can imagine that's what it felt like. Because you had to like choose sides and your, some of your friends went over there and some of your friends went over there and you're just sort of mm -hmm. like, why am I having to make this decision right now? This isn't fair. You guys are bad. The leaders, you guys, you, you guys are the bad guys, you know? So anyways, fast forward, I become a missionary. I go on the mission field and despite all of that, and it was a very difficult thing because being a missionary when you're like 21 years old in another country is not easy. Anyways, my life was a mess. I came home from the, the mission field, and I remember sitting at my parents' table, and that's when the scary seething with anger Shelly was showed up. 
Mm. And my parents just, you know, nodded and, you know, listened to me. But um, I basically completely changed directions in my life, and I moved to Charlotte to go to art school. And um, I was in a long-term relationship with a bad guy, completely away from the Lord. Um, basically, everything that I felt like I learned during that pro- that period of time of like of of Bible school and all that stuff that like was revolutionary, you know. It all just sort of was like worthless, almost. Like you guys, you leaders are jerks because you can't even get your own self together to keep the school together. Like, you know, just, ugh, like all of you are just losers and I hate you basically. And so I come to Charlotte. I knew one person in Charlotte and I went to art school here and I worked full-time at a restaurant while I went to school full-time. And um, there was a guy that I worked with who went to Morningstar. At the time, I had no, I mean, I know I knew what Morningstar was, but like I wasn't connected to Morningstar at all. So it was just crazy that I started working the same time around this guy did. And he would always try to like pray for me, like prophesy over me. And I was just like, bro, <laughs> wrong tree. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't got none for you, you know, like back up. And uh, one day, I don't know if you've, anybody has waited tables before, like if you work the lunch shift, a lot of times you'll stay and like eat lunch after your shift because it's like half price and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> so at lunchtime, I like sat down and like ordered some lunch and he, we were kind of in this designated area and he was sitting at the next table and he was like, he came and like sat on, at my table and I was like, okay, here we go. Here's this guy again. And, uh, he was like, so like, tell me your story. Like, I know you have, you have like a story. And I was like, okay. So I start to tell him the story a little bit, like what I've shared with you guys. And, uh, at some point in the story, he's like, man, you really need to forgive them. You really need to forgive those people. And I was like, You, excuse me? I mean, I was offended to the, like, thousandth degree. Like, I was just like, first of all, you don't know me like that. You do not know me like that, okay? You do not know nothing about my life. You do not know the first thing about, like, I, like, reared up. Like, I was just like, and I left, like, offended. And, um... Talk about a bitterness test. <laughs> somebody tells you you need to forgive somebody. If you react like that, you have bitterness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Reality check. So anyways, I get in my car and I'm, I just can't stop thinking about what this guy said. And I'm like, wow. So... Who in my life did I immediately think of when I thought about having to forgive somebody that I just didn't? There was nothing in me that wanted to forgive those people. Nothing. 
nothing. Like, so I thought, so my mom, who is a literal angel, saint, she, I know in her life that she's had to forgive some, you know, horrible abuses that have been done to her, horrible things that have been done to her. She has forgiven just predator type people, terrible people. So she's who I thought of. And so I called her. I got home. I sat on the bed. I mean, like I can see this, like it happened yesterday and it was, you know, nearly, you know, 15 years ago. And, uh, I said, you know, mom, how do you forgive somebody that you don't want to forgive? And she said, Shelly, you have to ask Jesus to help you to forgive them. Mm. And she said, unforgiveness, unforgiveness towards somebody is like taking poison and waiting for them to die. When you're the one who is dying. Bitterness leads to death. Mm. It's, it's something that you have to root out immediately because like Robin said, it changes a whole trajectory of your life. I had been on a path to who knows where, like the good path. Like I was in Bible school, you know, so close to the Lord, wanting to be in the ministry, wanting to do all these things. And then all of a sudden I'm on this like dark path. I remember this was before I even had that conversation with that guy. I remember thinking like, God, I feel like the ceiling was like right. The cement eight foot ceiling was like above me. Like there was no connection to God. You know, it was just like nothing was there. I would try to go to church and I would leave feeling worse because I just was like seething. Like, oh, you're just like those people. You're just like those, those leaders that I hate, you know. Like, everybody is such a disappointment, you know. All the leaders are such a disappointment. They're so human. They're so flawed, right? You know? But, like, how flawed are you? You know? Like, how many people have you disappointed? We all have. We're humans. So, anyways, hang up the phone with my mom. And y'all, this was like, I just, she said, and you have to keep asking Jesus to help you. You might have to ask Jesus over and over to help you to forgive this person, you know? And she said, and slowly over time, it'll be easier, you know? So anyways, in that moment, in that day, I asked the Lord to help me to forgive these people. And... uh I did it. And it was really hard at first, you know? I was just like, like, oh, just like disgust, you know? You're just disgusted with them. But um, slowly, my life trajectory changed. I mean, I cannot tell you where I would be today if that encounter didn't happen. I would have probably married the bad guy. Definitely. And who knows where that would have led. I definitely wouldn't be in the life that I have now. So what's funny is that forgiveness is so big. It's Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. 
it, it doesn't let those other people off the hook. I mean, you know, all of this, it's like almost, like when I was thinking about this story, it seems so silly now, really. Like, why was I mad at those people? Who cares, you know? You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, it's once you get away from it, you're just like, why was, I was like, tore up about these people. Like, tore up. Like anybody, if the, if the, if the topic even barely came up, it'd be like, oh, and you know, you know, like any time, you know? So anyways, my life trajectory started to change. I broke up with the guy, which was crazy. No one saw that coming from a million miles away. I broke up with that guy. I mean, and just slowly, like things just started happening in my life. And now, like I think I mentioned this last week as I was closing the meeting was that there was a moment where I felt like God was like, you are literally in caught up. Like, cause I thought I'd wasted all those years being bitter. I was bitter for years. Didn't go to church. Didn't want anything to do with God. And then I felt like all of a sudden in like a very short period of time, like I was caught up wow. and I was exactly where I was supposed to be all along. Wow. And, um, what's funny is Robin didn't know I was going to mention this, but you know, I always talk so highly of Robin and I love him, right? Been going to Queen City Church for 10 years. But a few years ago, Robin and I had a little run-in with each other. And he was doing the right, you know, he was, I was the one who was in the wrong. But he, you know, confronted me on it. And I could have gotten bitter again. Because it was, you know, it's so easy to just be like, screw him. I'm going to leave Queen City Church, you know. You know, oh, all leaders are bad. They're all, you know, whatever. I could have done that easily. And I could be like bad-mouthing him somewhere right now, you know. But the thing is, is that God was like, Shelly, don't do it. Don't do it. You know? And what is so awesome is, I, now I'm like, I'm even closer to Robin, I feel like, than I was before. And we were close before. So it's like the enemy loves to get up in there and just, you know, talk, you know, just get you all wound up over stuff. But the thing is, is that unforgiveness is like suffocation. It will kill you. It'll kill your soul. It'll kill your spirit. It'll kill your life's destiny. So get rid of it. Unburden yourself from it. Unburden. It's a, I was praying when we were going to sleep last night. I was praying for you guys today. And I was just like, Lord, let people get unburdened. You know, maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's church leaders. Maybe it's political leaders. Maybe it's your siblings. I don't know. But if they're, if the bitterness, like if you can't bless those people, there's still work. (laughs) There's still work in there, you know? And I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that I have arrived and I have it figured out. There's still times that I would be like, ooh, 
the tone is a little sharp when I talk about that person. Probably need to investigate what's going on there. It's going to keep coming up, you know? But just for the sake of yourself, just unload the burden. Fighting with the past, you lose 100% of the time. It happened, okay? And like Robin said, blaming is the most, um, blaming someone is the most um, powerless thing you can do. It, it, re- it takes away all of your power. Taking authority over how you respond, it is powerful. You were wronged. We have all been wrong. We have all gone through terrible, terrible things, I'm sure. Every person here has gone through something that is, you know, rightfully so. You should be mad. You should be bitter. But... Give yourself the gift of forgiveness. Forgive that person for yourself, for your own life's trajectory. Let them go. Bless them. And uh, your life trajectory will change. Guaranteed. God's mercy changes our future. His mercy on me. With that guy. With that guy that I just was like, how annoying is he? And he, he said, you really need to forgive them. Man, my life changed because of it. Yeah. <clears throat> Shelly, hold up. Um, if the Lord's speaking to you and you want to respond, why don't you just stand up? I'm going to get Shelly just to pray for you. But if the Lord's been speaking to you, it's it's good. It's good to respond. Don't, don't be shy or... Um, yeah. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Mm. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Mm. We are so grateful that you forgave us, yet while we were still sinners, you died for us. Mm. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray for each person here wanting to unload this burden of bitterness. Mm. God, I pray that you would give them the grace to just lay it down. To just take it off of their shoulders and just lay it down. It's not serving them. It's not doing anything good for their lives. It's only taking them farther away from you and the plan that you have for them. So, Lord, I pray that you would just rush in with your grace for forgiveness. Help us to forgive those who have hurt us. Help us, Lord, to take responsibility for what we can do about this. God, I pray that you would just touch each and every person here that is standing. There's, there's pain represented. There's, there's a lot of pain represented here, and I know what that feels like. 
God, I pray that you would just come in with your oil and your grace and just pour over us, Lord. Pour over us, Lord. Heal those wounds. Mm -hmm. Heal those traumas. Heal that pain, Lord. Like only you can do. Like only you can do. And just seal it up with your love, Lord. Mm-hmm. And every, every time that this feeling arises, that feeling of anger, hurt, or bitterness, I pray that they would remember to say, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive them. Yes. Get, set, get each person here to the point of blessing those, those people who have hurt them. Bless each person here, Lord. Thank you for their heart, their tender heart that wants to get rid of this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, we release grace in Jesus' name. Lord, we release those people that we've, those situations, we just release them in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.